does a really good more than work. <laughs> Feeney, you've heard it at least 10 times at this point. You're probably sick of it, like. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's Before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi, Rob. Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score! This is The Hard Yards, I'm Andy McGeady. We have a really good show lined up for you today. I have Kevin McLaughlin and Pat McCarry and IRFU performance analyst Vinnie Hammond. And we also have a big interview with Connacht second row Alton Delan later in the show. Gents, hello. Hello, good morning. Andrew, how are you? Mr Hammond, how are you? Are you well? Very well. Yeah, uh, we'll, 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 <coughs> com- we'll come back to how early you were up this morning, right? Um, but we have a different starting point today. Um, Pat, what are you doing at the start of December? What am I doing at the start of December? Yeah. Are like you putting on a big red suit? <laughs> I was like, we have a baby due, so I was like, is it due that soon? Like, um, <laughs> but uh, <coughs> yeah, I'm I'm going to retake to the stage. It's been four years since I've done some acting, so uh, I'm I'm going back to. Uh, this is actually a good plug. They'll be delighted with me. Uh, the Balali players were doing some um, Christmas show in Marley House, and I, at the moment I've been cast as Santa Claus, so that's why the beard is. <laughs> you got to work on the pot belly now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this yeah. is going to be character acting. It's going to be stuff in my face over the next month. <coughs> yeah, you've done some stuff on stage and performance, have you, Kev? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> Next. <Are> you sure? <laughs> you sure? Actually, if you could ask him to sing, Andy, because he used to sing for UCD under twenties. He used to sing at a piano. Yeah, yeah, I'll sing us out. I'll sing us out at the end of the podcast. No problem. No for the Christmas no. special, right? Chalk it down. <laughs> yeah, I'll come exactly. back to that. One. We're looking for a bit of more music. Actually, yeah. He does a really good more than work. <laughs> <laughs> Feeney, you've heard it at least ten times at this point. You're probably sick of it. Like, yeah, <laughs> our, uh, our audience that. hasn't. We'll make sure these are rolling from the start around Christmas. <laughs> I'm just right? putting sting idea down here. For yeah. That, for <laughs> um, all right. Listen, we'll we'll move past Christmas stuff, uh, Mister Mister Zebo. <coughs> nice little little present. I'm not. How nice it is for Munster fans, but there's a big opportunity there for a young man with a young family um, to go to France. Um, Pat, I think how we say the informed speculation is that Racing seem to be the the team. They haven't actually confirmed it yet, though, have they? No, so it has been confirmed. Um, but uh, just yeah, all all signs are pointing to it, and um, yeah, it's, it's going to be. I think I think the talk was that Pau might have been in there in Toulouse as well, but then once Racing got the the sniff that he was serious about making the move and this wasn't just one of these uh, smokescreen things to get a better IRFU deal that uh, they gave him a shout and I suppose there's those Munster connections over in Paris now as well so um, yeah he'll he'll pitch up well there and he'll do well like fluent in, in French he might have to brush up on it as well but uh, has that X factor about him and um, yeah he'll do he'll do really well over there I you know he would have liked to have kept him around till after the World Cup but he would have been 29 but if he wants to go now yeah. Kev, is that the big surprise here? That just it, it, it's he's gone maybe a year and a half early, earlier than people thought he might go. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's his decision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think he he made the call and he realizes the risks that are involved. I think if you look at some of the guys that have gone abroad, it's very very clear the RFU have made a statement that they will now automatically prepare prefer players that are on Irish soil and playing here. So. 
I think he's he's got all the data to make that decision, mm. and and that's what he's gone with. I think like he's a phenomenal loss for Munster in particular. I think mm. Offfield is quite a big loss actually in terms of their their marketing side. Yeah, like the, he's their biggest, like he's one of the biggest brand pulls in Ireland, yeah. in Irish rugby, not just Munster rugby. But like the slightly concerning thing for Munster is you've got Pow, okay, and you've got guys like Dave Foley, Sean Dougal, um, Paddy Butler as well, Paddy Butler. Uh, James Colum was down there as well. He was yeah, there. He, he's retired. There's like he's almost retired. like a little bit of a monster community there. And now in Racing, you've got Raj and Dunners, and now um, potentially, like you're saying, Zebo gone down there. Like, you don't want to make it too comfortable <laughs> for guys to move. What you want to send over a sleeper <laughs> just to break up the comfort zone? <laughs> <laughs> but like that, that definitely helps your decision. If you're yeah. going over, like, say when Dave Foley's making up his mind, he's like two monster lads on the phone to him saying, "Man, the weather over here is class." we drink a, a glass of wine every night yeah. <laughs> the training isn't too bad we play big games every weekend like that completely alters your psychology the same way as Zebo was definitely on the phone to Dunners going what's it like over there hmm. well I like it um, so you don't <laughs> from a Munster point of view that's slightly concerning like you're looking at six players over the course of three or four years moving over the, over to France um, so there's no other province really in a position like that you've got a couple of guys leaving from the other provinces but not many at all hmm. I suppose um, we'll probably jump from there straight into the Champions Cup because yeah. you know there was the Munster Racing game um, Finney were you like everyone else sort of after about an hour of that were you wondering if you'd ever clocked a nil all draw in a top tier game yeah, well, the problem for us is that we would we would look at the defence and the attack separately. In that that game, I was actually doing the defence. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, short straw. <laughs> it was a short straw that yeah. weekend, but it was a phenomenal game to be nil all because um, I think games like that you're looking at probably switch on the scoreboard and you go oh, no way. But it was so um, it was just so physical for so long, and, and neither side were going to break. And eventually, once just held out that little bit longer and. Um, I think when you look at a big player like Conor Murray in a big game um, and Johnny Sexton does the same in the really big games they seem to be the momentum shifters and in that one it was Conor you know and that changed the whole tone of the game so so we've got what's, I think we'll do a state of the provinces uh, here so after two rounds in uh, it's in general not too bad um, Munster will stay in the subject second in that pool but it's a very very tight pool yeah. but yeah, and then the double header against Leicester coming up, aren't yeah. they? Like so, um, that that's exactly what they needed to do. But everybody is still almost in the mix in that in mm-hmm. that group. Like no yeah. one's out of it yet. So, um, yeah, they'll 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 kind of be delighted with that again because they would have been questioned again at the start of the season. Is can Munster do it? Another season of upheaval. So they they gave another solid answer there at the weekend. They're in good shape, though. I think like they get five points. At the, in the Christmas fixtures mm. they're right in the mix I think they'll, they'll probably pick up a bonus point win at home to cast cast don't travel well um, so yeah like they're, they're right in the mix they're in good shape mm. I, I think they would have absolutely bitten your hands off for, yeah. six, for a six point start you know Ulster uh, mixed <coughs> got properly trounced by La Rochelle that second half was something else yeah like John O'Gibbs would have been absolutely disgusted with that second half performance. They they just they got beaten up like there was no other way to describe it. It mm. was because uh, the first half was good. I thought yeah, they played close. good rugby. I thought they were right in the mix. They like quieted down the crowd a little bit. Kept and the then, TV audience interested as well. Yeah, um, and then just from the start of the second half, La Rochelle came out of the traps and like you know 
in the half time in the change room you're, you're thinking that you're way in France you're going guys the first 10 minutes here are going to be tough like we need to dig in they're going to come flying at us they didn't play that well in the first half and I was just very disappointed with how they responded I know the coaches and Ulster would have been disappointed as well felt like maybe a little bit of a lack of leadership perhaps they should have brought Bestie on at half time yeah, and yeah. just got him in there really yeah potentially like I just fe- feel like that first 10 minutes like was so key they need to be in the game at 50-55 mm. and then they you know they're in great shape to pick up a point but yeah. going away there from there with nothing now has put them put them in a really really tricky position yeah, they ship points know? at a rate of knots at uh, one point in that second yeah half. and La Rochelle are very good you yeah. give them a sniff and they'll, they'll punish you mm. and I think like they're we're not going to go down this path but like they're they're missing an out now 10 <laughs> Like Leila Fan has a great twelve. I like he's played most of his rugby at twelve. Like. Yeah, yeah. And then <coughs> Cooney's an awesome nine, and he's kind of finishing the game at ten. Hmm. And he he did fine, but like and he did that for Connacht at the end of last season when they had injury problems as well. But but agreed, he's a nine rather than a yeah. A, a he's he's player. a phenomenal athlete and footballer, so he can play ten. But like he's most comfortable at nine. Ulster most comfortable when he's at nine. So like yeah. But obviously they've got well documented problems with player availability at that position. Um, yeah. But then going to Leinster. Uh, 10 points and that was a decent haul from the Glasgow game Pat that was brilliant um, because I was I was would have tipped against them last week I would have thought Glasgow had everything to lose so they would have got a result against them but uh, Leinster absolutely brilliant the pack was great Keane Healy back in good form Sexton made a big call just before half time um, when they won a penalty off a scrum not only just to I think they could have taken first of all to go for the scrum and then to go for the attacking line out and then to get them all over and get a try like so just two or three big calls as a captain which he actually would have loved and the pack would have back in the pack as well so mm. um, and then they were just great in the in the second half and really closed it out and um, again yeah like again we talked about that Vinny talked about that Sexton and Murray these guys who just keep producing when they have to in the big games as well Yeah. so con- not forgetting Connacht top of pool 5 in the Challenge Cup with a visit from a friend of the podcast Dunningham O'Callaghan to the sports ground um, but what's the state of play Leinster are 4-1 to second favourites behind Saracens Munster are 14-1 to and Ulster are 35-1 to that's the win the tournament outright now um, Mr Hammond you are a high performance analyst for the IRFU what does a high performance <laughs> analyst do um, yeah, I suppose it's, it's it's a mix of all sorts. Uh, at the moment, the obvious thing is we're, we're prepping for the November series, the Guinness series, which is um, that takes up the kind of guts of the four or five weeks leading into it for us in terms of prepping for opposition players, opposition plays. And outside of that, really, we're constantly just monitoring our own players um, right the way from under 18s, 19s, 20s, 7s, uh, women's 7s and women's 15s. So any of those teams that fall under the high-performance bracket, uh, there's somebody tracking and coding um, and analysing all the players that are involved in that. So And doing the same then for our counterparts around the world. So we know roughly where we stand, not just against ourselves, but against uh, what's considered to be the kind of world's world's best or best practice or best standard, whatever you want to call it. So, how do you become an analyst? Well, for me, it was just it was uh, it was actually an injury in UCD when I was playing there. Um, so I did my wrist, and then I couldn't do I couldn't play. I actually wasn't that good anyway, so I didn't. That, but um, so I got injured, and then I just took up the the director of rugby there, John McLean, had a very early 
iteration of an analysis system but then he bought another system that he clearly couldn't work um, and I was kind of sitting in the office and he said oh will you try and do this so I did that while I was still studying in UCD and then uh, went and did a master's in Cardiff in performance analysis and most of the people I studied with there are kind of gone on to do and say work in uh, British cycling or tennis whatever it might be and there was only a few of us really specialising in rugby at the time and uh, came back and did some work here and lucky enough been the RFU now for 10 years so so the um, I want to bring in Kevin here a second but I, I want to come back to something I mentioned earlier on what time are you up this morning? Uh, we yeah, we usually start early but I've been getting a bit of stick for giving out about in an interview about how early we have to get up to the line <laughs> so I can't give out about getting up early anymore uh, I think that I think I've beaten that drum hard enough so you're not giving out you're just stating a fact what time did <laughs> no, your first email arrive in this morning? <laughs> Um, the first emails uh, they usually start around a quarter to six uh, around six quarter to six yeah so this is where we bring Kev in (laughs) Kev Joe Schmidt doesn't sleep (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't sleep much I don't think I'm just going to go back to something Vinny said he, he said he, he didn't uh, he wasn't a great player myself and Vinny actually played together uh, UCD under 20s and for the UCD senior team and he's a great player um, and I think the fact that he actually played at a high level gives him the ability to do what he does today because he understands the game I mm. think having played it just gives you a huge advantage um, but going back to Joe yeah like I think he's he's has a phenomenal work ethic and he demands a phenomenal work ethic from all around him not just the players but from all the staff as well and I think Vinny, Vinny will attest to that um, yeah for sure but I, I think that that's fine I think he leads by example uh, Vinny like he never switches off really does he like when, when he no, uh, I think go ahead sorry. yeah the big drivers the big drivers of any culture I suppose should be the guy at the top where yeah. the person at the top and if if if, they, if you kind of see them living as, as they kind of want everyone else to live it definitely does have an impact on the group um, and that goes right the way for all the other staff as well not just Joe you know you look at uh, the backroom team he's kind of assembled around him with uh, Richie Murphy Greg Feek Andy Farrell and Simon Easterby and that's a pretty good coaching setup now that they all work ridiculously hard to, to get very very small margins achieved in very very short time frame and I think when you're involved in the national team as well you do only have real pockets with the players um, so they do a massive amount of going around and actually into provinces, into into the the kind of day to day environment of a player, and trying to get you know guys one on one as much as they can, and talk to guys outside of camp. Because when we're in camp, really, if you think about the week of a of an international, if you work backwards, you might play on a Saturday. Team run is on a Friday, so you don't really do too much in the team run, especially if you're away from home. Um, you can do a session on a Thursday a down day on Wednesday and if it's a Monday session or a Tuesday you potentially still recovering from the week before so a lot of the time these guys only really have the guts of two sessions to prepare for a test match So what are, what are you doing in that time right so let's say you're, you're in camp and we've had the first test match the first test match of the autumn, se- the autumn series um, you're doing stuff during the game um, for Joe and you're in the coach's box there so so give us a high level what are you doing there in that environment yeah, I think like, there's lots of misconceptions about what we actually do because some people think oh yeah you, you, you're the guy who sits there in, in the coach's box and he's like what do you actually have in front of you a lot of the time what we're trying to do is just confirm or um, or read into what we didn't perhaps think that was going to happen you know so we're like looking to see well what we worked on during the week is it is it happening in front of us and very often we're just answering questions 
that you know okay can we go back and check where the setup for the last scrum or can we go back and look at the, the I don't know the walk in from the last line out and it's tiny tiny margins that you're trying to figure out and, and trying to trying to find in, in the mid game because there is no um, I think I said this recently if you look at the 2014 kind of 2015 Six Nations wins they're so marginal you know you come down to points difference tries scored tries conceded and if if it's a case where you can get a three or a six point uh, score and again you think back to Jamie Heesop's tackle on Hogg in the in the Scotland game you know that's the difference between us winning and losing the championship and, and that might be a very very small moment in the context of the game but that's everything in, in the context of the competition you know so then once the once the game ends then you guys have a long night so talk us through what you're doing then for, for Joe and for the players yeah well I would pay anything for all the games to kick off at 1pm 1, uh, 1, 1 p.m. would be perfect because then we'd have a, a, like an evening but you think of a kick off especially during the summer 1945 kickoff. <laughs> you start your work at half 12 but realistically we do have a quite a good system so myself Mervyn Murphy um, and there's Jeff Blackburn in there as well with us. So we've three of us constantly working on the game from the moment the, the final whistle goes. And you just get into kind of autopilot for, for the first few hours and, and you know the same things are going to be asked every week. So we do have some consistency and that's really important I think with feedback to players as well because you can't go judging them on one set of criteria one week and then the next week say you did this, this and this but you're judging them against something else and I think Kev probably agree that if you're a player all you want to be doing uh, to be judged by is the same yardstick as the week before and as everybody else you know so when you say that you get into autopilot is that just is that like coding the game by hand and then splitting up into various you know KPIs you know players did exactly yeah and I think we probably come up with um, we work kind of coach by coach so I worked a lot with Andy on the defence in the last um, since he's come in so I know roughly speaking it takes a little bit of time to tune into what a coach is looking for I think that's where the kind of knowledge of the, the the knowledge of the sport is, is important you know we would have had Les Kiss there for a long time and it would probably take the guts of maybe six months to get really in tune with what he sees to make sure what he sees is the same as what I see or what Merv sees and um, so when he sees a soak tackle for example we need to know what a soak tackle looks like in his eyes and not not our eyes so you kind of it's like tuning up to another coach um, and trying to align your your thoughts with what he's thinking and not necessarily what you think and I know that's kind of you know that's kind of tricky but at the same time they're the guys who are at the front they're the guys who are coaching so you have to go with what they think and, and kind of implant their brain as much as they can into yours you know yeah, yeah that's I, I, so like just getting in there Vinny like it's so interesting and it's so important because say Joe um, Andy like the coaches there will in meetings I know from reviews be incredibly consistent in the messages they're delivering and the words you use there in terms of your analysis consistency is incredibly important too because if the way you're classifying things does not is not a direct reflection of the way they're talking about things in previews and reviews then we have a big problem um, yeah, so alignment between you and the coaches is phenomenally important and players after a game 
particularly after a hard game, you're tired, you're a bit emotional if you've lost, whatever is going on, you're looking at your stats and I'm sure you've seen it, Vinny, like lads can get pretty obsessed and pretty upset if they feel like something, if they've been hard done by. And I'm, I I do remember certain players... What do you mean by hard done by? So sitting and looking at their stats and going, <laughs> Vinny, that's fucking bullshit, that's not a soak or whatever, you know? And I, I'm sure Vinny's heard loads of I remember Leinster used to happen all the time. There were certain guys that would yeah. pull um, our, our analyst in there and sit him down and go through every single stat every single week and question every single one <laughs> which is too much of an obsession like I, th- I think like you're putting you're maybe too much weight in stats there but like Vinny I'm sure you've had some experience of that as well but it is so important that you're aligned with the coaches so no Vinny, doubt about it Vinny have you ever been brought into a dark room by an angry player yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's always the same guys it's always the same guys they look over and they usually go what what's this and you say oh well you know this like a it's a soak tackle and then they pull up someone else's clips and go how come he didn't get a soak tackle <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst one because that means they've actually gone to the bother looking at all the other soak tackles uh, to make sure that their one is aligned with the, the other ones but no most of the time look players get into a routine and they know give or take and um, like the, the natural human eye or the human judgment of everything that we do try to be pretty consistent with with uh, with how we code and how we break down players' performance. But yeah, look, there's always a good there's always a good bit of crack too because if it is the same guys coming at you the whole time, like Paul O'Connell is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but, but in a but in a great way, you know, and that pushes well, you to make co- sure that Vinny, Vinny covers code. himself with that comment. Yeah, right. But like yeah. the the whole lovely po- guy, lovely guy. <laughs> the, uh, the whole post match analysis thing is like for me, it was, there was like a life cycle. It was after a game, you're so tired and exhausted. Uh, you're like you're pretty satisfied generally if you've won or whatever. The next day you get up and you're like, Jesus, actually, did I actually play well? You go in, you start looking at your stats. You're like, oh, fuck. All you see is your mistakes. Hmm. Then the Monday you start to go through it with the coaches and with the likes of Vinny and stuff. You talk through your mistakes. You feel a little bit better about them. For me, it was only by sort of Tuesday where you can actually start putting that game behind you and move on. So the way the whole thing is presented to the players is very important. I think it has to be the stats are important, but actually there are more important things in stats or big moments in yeah, games that sure, make a difference it's sure. like like the Jamie Heaslip moment he could have dropped the ball five times his stats would have been poor but he still had the biggest moment in the mm. entire Six exactly. Nations and Joe exactly. knows that and for that reason Joe's going to keep him on the field and like Joe and, and experienced coaches can see the bigger picture I remember playing against Scarlets on Hind Cup I think it was 2011-2012 season um, away and I was absolutely devastated on the Sunday because I came in and I'd hit like five rooks made three tackles and made one carry or something like that and I went to Joe and I, I went to Bumper our analyst uh, Emmett Farrell I was like what's wrong Like I, I don't know what went wrong I felt tired after the game and they're like that's fine sometimes the game just gets away from you don't worry about the stats like just get prepared for next weekend and like that mm. was huge for me and if Joe had said your stats were a disgrace we're dropping you like that would have really really scarred me and it would have made me stats obsessed so <laughs> yeah so, so talk I think we're I think we're good in that in that regard I think and I think most top level coaches are they see the difference between a statistic and a performance you know and um, that's really important for me too there's so many variables involved in any single game that to give a guy a cold number at the end and say this is number of X or this is whatever it might be 
that is just it's a it's a counterintuitive way of, of doing it and it's I, I really can't see the benefits in it long term because I think like you said players just want to know you know can they perform in the really big moment in the game that's far superior than to maybe dropping two passes along the way you know but, but it's interesting we talk about the stats but mm. Vinny what you're talking about is the stats which you guys have actually put together based on your understanding of what your coaches mm. of how they see the game which I think is a really important point um, but there's also entire industries there which you know past media post game you're given a sheet here's the immediate stats yeah. same mm. word you know, it's these are not the same thing. Yeah, that's it. Like, cause, no. yeah, like, cause I was no. just saying that like you were talking about Emma Farrell there. Like, I've spoken to him in the past about the likes of like a Jamie Heaslip or a, a Peter O'Mahony. They might not have great stats at the end of the game, but yet they're probably doing exactly the job that they've been asked to do. Like, and yeah. but but mainly their stats will not be the same as the ones that will be seen internally. Mm. Vinny, is that correct? Yeah, pretty pretty much. Andy, there's no like. I mean, we wouldn't buy any data or present any data that we've got from third party providers. Pretty much in terms of performance statistics like that, like um, game statistics. So, you know, th- those even in in like between providers, there's a huge difference. And even post match, I remember uh, you'll probably remember it better than me. But uh, there was some there was a Wales game a while ago where there was a 35 tackle count for someone Dan Lydia maybe, mm. and all of a sudden that re- re- got revised down to 27 and um, you know it's it's there's a human at the end of this there's, nobody has done this well enough to sit down and predict all these stats by some kind of algorithm in the NBA is the only place that I know that they can actually code a game completely start to finish with metrics in it that are actually relevant um, with accuracy whereas in rugby there's no there's no system that can code up a match tell you who's made the tackle who's made the carry and for how long no yeah. and just because just, uh, I know Kev wants to come in here yeah. but to, to expand on Vinny's point the, there's a major issue with with uh, the differences in data are caused by a number of things firstly you get someone like Opton it's mainly on the ball data it's event data mm-hmm. um, or yeah. tackle data right and then when you go into other sports you're looking at optical data tracking mm-hmm. data trying to do that automatically that's really really hard in rugby because of a concept called occlusion where players come yeah. together yeah. it's really hard for the human eye can separate them it's really hard for a computer to do so so when they solve that problem <laughs> it would be amazing for everybody it might even give people like Vinny a starting point yeah. a bit of a head start in the game but we're not there yet no we're not but you'll, you'll laugh at this one uh, just speaking on this topic I remember doing a Monday review with John O'Gibbs after um, a high cup game I thought he was coming in with a sales pitch there, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's coming in a couple of minutes, you, don't no, worry. You got your plug a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I did, and it's coming again soon. <laughs> I know, so, uh, John sat us down, and we went through, we were sp- we'd had a terrible weekend as far as he was concerned from a line out stat. I think we had 10 line outs, and as, he was like, as far as I'm concerned, we won eight of them, you know. And what he would consider winning a line out is catch, clean catch, clean delivery, and uh, like Vinny and all about this, being able to play off it, like. Rod, Rod actually made that very that, point a few weeks back, saying you can you can technically win your line out, but it's not a good win. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting to. And then I re- remember reading in the in the morning papers uh, after that review that Leinster had a hundred percent in their line outs. So I just had a good chuckle at that, and that is a real. It's a good example of the difference in stats and how they're defined internally versus externally. Mm. Vinny, um, in terms of, so that's looking at some of your work, let's say, with the national side, but you also mentioned earlier on that you were looking at the, the Munster match and the defence and that. What are you doing with the provinces and do you also track the players that are playing outside the provinces? 
Yeah, I think everybody that's in our kind of uh, wider radar group is is pretty much tracked to the same level, um, and that just means we've got consistency of judgment across any player that we want to compare, pretty much in the world. Um, that's Irish qualified. So that's a massive undertaking, but it's also something that's obviously quite fruitful because when we know what our own players are capable of, then it just makes those decisions easier. And like, again, we're not driven by data. We're not driven by any kind of number, especially around selection. But like the way I see it is probably, it's more like just another assistant coach in the corner, the, the, the numbers that we have. And they sometimes chirp in, the numbers do, and then they chirp back out again. And where they're required, yeah, they can have some kind of an influence. But there's a human factor in the coach's eye that would always supersede the data for the moment in, in rugby, definitely. I, I just, the more I think about this, Andy, like the people always go back to talk about baseball and moneyball and all. And for me, that's so worn out that argument, you know, why can't we do this in rugby? Mm-hmm. Like baseball is the perfect storm for analytics. I know you like baseball, it, it literally is the perfect storm. There's a thrower, uh, <laughs> there's a batter, and there's not much else, you know. Whereas rugby, you have 15 moving parts. Um, on one side, you've 15 moving parts on the other. You've a referee who's definitely a moving part in terms of like the application of the laws. So you could go and do one thing one week and get away with do the following week and it might be interpreted differently. So to be driven by a number that can be derived from that amount of mayhem and chaos uh, is very, very difficult. Hmm. Right, so essentially what I'm hearing is stats are good, but you have to know what the stat is you have to know what the context is in your coaching setup and they're one voice in the room they're not the guiding light fair exactly Absolutely. they're one, one if they got to one seventh of the influence of, of a coach's meeting they, they'd be they'd be good and you know like I think Bill Belichick said something like around like he didn't want the stats guys giving him a 60-40 you know like if it comes to him and gives him an 80-20 then he'll have a look at it and then he also followed that up by saying well if he's good enough coach he'll spot the 80-20 anyway uh, Vin- <laughs> Vinny is there yeah. any is there anything like that in terms of like set plays or spotting something from the opposition that you'd be kind of proud of that would kind of stand out in your Irish time I, I remember speaking to Emma Farrell before and he was talking about how he spotted some flaw on the Beeritz line out and Leinster got a try from it is, is there anything to you that would stand out o- over your time with Ireland uh, no, I'd like to claim responsibility for both the Six Nations wins I've been involved in, but <laughs> no, realistically, no. There's, there's your headline. The coaches, <laughs> the coaches, the coaches do an unbelievable job, and like we 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 provide them with what they need to see. And like, if you think of the, the guys we have in that room um, and the amount of experience that they they have, we're just another voice in that room. And uh, anything, anything that we we achieve, we achieve through good coaching and really good players. You know, we can be part of we can be part of it and we can enjoy it at the end but realistically now this this I would be very reluctant to put my hand up and say oh I spotted this and I, I can tell you all the times like I mean working with an under 18 team and I remember we played against uh, Tolafua the French hooker and we had a plan to kick a ball off to him and make an example of him early like, you know because he was their wrecking ball and we said right okay you know get the ball up in the air first kick off and we make an example of this guy so the first kick off goes up you know what's going to happen catches the ball one, two, three handoffs and he's about maybe five yards short of our 22 turn on. so you mean you do make like there's, there's things where you look back on and you go oh my 
God, <laughs> but that was an under 18s tournament, and we actually won the tournament that, that year, so that was good. But no, that was a complete fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's always good to end on a fuck up. Uh, Finney, thank you very much for your time. We will let you go. Thanks, Andy. Um, thanks, yeah, thanks, Pat. Cheers, Stephen. Uh, Kev will be back later to answer your Twitter questions. But up next, we talk to Connacht and Ireland second row, Ulton Lalan. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. You're very welcome back to the Hard Yards. Uh, Pat, with the Interpros coming up um, this weekend, and you were on the road this week. Yeah, I was down in um, off the Galway actually this Friday for uh, Connacht Munster. So we got down uh, on Tuesday and I was speaking to David Howard, their uh, head of athletic performance, and uh, had a big chat with Ulton Delan um, down there. What is it? As the, the academy lads trained in the background. So um, yeah, he, he's looking forward to a lad who kind of came over to Ireland when he was only a kid and set up in Tralee. Uh, good memories playing for Tralee Rugby Club, and uh, now he's playing against his, his home province, I suppose you should say. Uh, this weekend so um, yeah really good to catch up with him and I found him in really good form as well and you were asking him sort of an easy question it sounds <laughs> like how did he end up in Connacht yeah just I, I kicked it off by just asking him yeah how are you here how are you in Galway today yeah it's um, yeah it's an interesting start to this one yeah no was, uh, I, was, I was born in, in Paris and just lived live there till I was seven really went to school uh, just around the corner from the apartment where, uh, the block where we lived um, but yeah, around the age of six, seven, uh, unfortunately, uh, we had a, a passing in our family, and uh, my mom just felt uh, she wanted she wanted to be closer to home, and uh, so that that brought me and my brother and her back to back to back to Kerry. Um, we uh, yeah, we settled in Tralee, and uh, I suppose we were near all the cousins and everything, and just I suppose I just dabbled in a few other sports before rugby but um, it wasn't until the age of about 12 that I had a, that I had a crack at rugby and uh, loved it from the very first training session now um, and yeah I suppose I never look back and did you always have the, the height did you take a growth spurt at any stage or were you always kind of yeah uh, yeah I was I would have been I was always a little bit taller than the, the, the rest of my class if, or whatever it was um, uh, and yeah I guess I, I had a bit of <laughs> I had a bit of a Natural strength in me for rugby because I, I definitely didn't have any technique or or skill when I when I first tried it, but I just like loved the physicality of it and I guess it, it was it was my little advantage even though I didn't have much uh, m- much talent for the <laughs> for the sport then, but that's what made me enjoy it. So and, and you kind of said like you, it was great to catch up with your cousins and all again and and all the kind of yeah. other extended family. Did you know many of them before you came back here to Ireland? Or? Uh, yeah, no, we we did, we would have gone to Ireland to carry on holidays every. Uh, Every year or two years, I'm not too sure what it was, but I just remember that I, I couldn't understand anyone. <laughs> I, I, my brother and I only spoke French uh, back then, and uh, even when my mom would speak English, just we'd only understand an odd word here or there. But uh, but yeah, we seemed to pick up English pretty quickly when we, when we moved over. It only took about a year or two before we were, we were fluent. Um, so yeah, no, it was good to, but it was great to see the the, the Irish family and we as well as we had a I had my my cousin. Well, I suppose nearly a twin cousin of mine. We were born, we were born the same day in Paris, and oh, wow. he was uh, he would pretty much been the best friend of mine in in in, in Paris, and he's now moved to carry himself now. So, uh, so yeah, now it's good to, to be near family like that. And, and how did it all kind of work? Like it, it wasn't exactly the kind of normal route a lot of guys would have through like through the schools route into rugby. How did it all kind of work out that? Um, how, even how did you end up here in Galway? So it was from Tralee playing rugby, and how did you get spotted? Um, yeah, I suppose I so I played um, so I started my rugby out with Truly with Truly RFC, and uh, I would have 
been involved with them from since I was, let's say, 12 to to 18. They, they got a, I was I was playing with a, I first got trials for Westminster under 16s, I think. It could have been 16s, yeah, and. Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, I was lucky enough to make to, to be selected for that. It was only only 16 of us got got picked for that back then, and then uh, we trained with Westminster for uh, I think during this during the year or whatever it was, and then over summer joined or got selected for another thing called the NTS. I think it was a trial thing they were doing. It was just uh, they they called it the National Talent Squad. It was a it was a it was a weird thing, but it was it was cool. There was a lot of a lot of players from they had about over 40, 50 players, I think, in that. And, um, but they said if you, if you were good enough to get selected for that, then you stood a good chance of getting selected for Munster Youth the following season. And, uh, and uh, lucky enough, I, 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 um, I played all right and got selected for Munster Youths. And then uh, through, had, we, we almost won that Interpro, actually. We drew with Leinster and, and uh, I think it was about the other two provinces. And then that was, uh, so it was, um, that was a good year for us. And then on, from that, got selected for Irish Youths. And we had the first win away against I think it was France 19s or something like that in Brittany, which was which was brilliant. And then onto that played, got Munster 19s and uh, Irish 19s. And then but the coaches from say Irish youths and Irish 19s were the Connacht Academy coaches over here, and I built I had good relationship with the two of them. And um, I don't know I suppose they offered me an academy contract here when. Munster kind of got into the business of just saying, uh, of uh, get, get, giving up the sub academy deals, and uh, I, I obviously would have liked to have stayed, but it was, but I wanted to help out at home a bit more, so, um, so I just, uh, I just went with it. I went with the with the academy contract, and I think it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. I know. What is it um, when you kind of first broke in um, that big season you had with Connacht, and you first broke into the Irish setup? A friend of mine uh, lives centrally. Remembers you working as a lounge boy, one of the largest lounge boys in the in uh, in a bar in the city centre. What was it? Did, did you work there for long, or in, do you remember much of it? Bailey's Corner, actually. Mm. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, that was. Uh, I love. I love them. I love working there. Sorry, <laughs> uh, I was a glass picker there, and the uh, odd time might have been on the door help, you know, just passing time maybe. Uh, but yeah, no, we did great memories down there. Um, I uh, I knew the. Uh, my, uh, I suppose my boss down there was also my uh, scout troop leader of mine years ago when I was in, when I was in the scouts. So he'd known us for years like that. But uh, no, yeah, they love they love supporting uh, Connacht now. But this they'll be touring this weekend now, <laughs> supporting <laughs> both. But uh, but yeah, no, great memories working down there. It's an interesting one. I suppose yeah, the game coming up this weekend, um, Munster again. Is it an odd feeling every time that game comes around? Do you get kind of you know fa family and friends will be coming up to the game as well? And yeah, oh, it's uh, it's. It's I wouldn't say odd feeling. It's exciting because uh, I know everyone's kind of a bit torn. Well, my family, they'd, they'd be they'd be more uh, more obviously more Connacht, uh, uh, supporting more of Connacht than, than Munster. But uh, but at the same time, they'll still like to see uh, both teams do well. So it'll be a, it'll be not, it'll be it's always a good game. I haven't played Munster either, and I think uh, I didn't play them at all last season. And not sure whether I'll play this weekend or not. But if I did, it'd be it'd be, it'd be quite really exciting anyway. The um, I suppose to, we all know it's kind of the, the rapid rise you had, and you were kind of spotted and brought into the Irish setup pretty early. But um, even you must have been kind of taking it on your stride. It happened so quick. But how strange did it feel then to be in the middle of Soldier Fields, um, having beaten the All Blacks, and you know just that kind of sensation of is this actually happening to me as well? Yeah, no, that was 
it, it was a bit surreal. There's a few surreal moments, I suppose, <laughs> over the last couple of years, but that was a, that was a, that was a really cool one. Um, yeah, we just, it was, it was a, <laughs> it was a weird build up to the game. Everyone, everyone was naturally nervous, uh, but it just, everyone, the, the, the squad played so well that day, and uh, I was so lucky to even get on the field. I think, um, but uh, it, it, it's still, it's still hard to believe. But it, it was um, definitely one of the best memories I've ever had on, on the rugby on the rugby field. Because I know you spoke to, you said Paul O'Connell was probably your hero growing up, your idol, um, yeah. as a player. To, to see then the pictures that he was in the crowd to yeah. howl it and cheering yeah. you guys on kind of adds to it oh, as well. It was class, yeah. It was so cool, so so cool. Great stadium as well. And the um, with O'Connell as well, is he was he the main guy in your growing up? Like, was it always a lock that you wanted to be? And was it from seeing? There was him a play? few of them. It was uh, O'Connell, uh, David Wallace, mm. and I suppose Stonico Callahan, who was playing here last weekend. Yeah, there, there, three of them would have been. I remember I being 14, 13, 14, just saying, just thinking, oh, it'd be a dream to be with like them. Yeah, so, yeah. And did you get to catch up with Donico Callan at the end of that game last week? I didn't, mu not much, no. We had we uh, other activities to do, I think, uh, straight after the game, so it was kind of tough to catch up with players. But uh, but now I know it's good to I suppose, see, them on, see them on the pitch in, in the sports grounds. There was a game I was at, um, the UK, you were playing, I think you might have started the game against Italy in the Six Nations, it was the, the game to Aviva Stadium. And, um, I remember it was one of the t carries you made, it was just this insane, straight into two big Italian guys and just kind of off your feet on the carry straight into them took him over the game line by a couple of yards and as good as it was I was thinking Geez, this guy can't do this forever maybe it's because he's young and hasn't had the knocks before <laughs> but uh, have you kind of found like were you kind of fearless enough at the start have you kind of almost even learned as you went along to go on that you can't maybe fling your body around as much as you as you thought uh, you could no on the, on the carrying front I, no, I, I love that <laughs> I suppose I love on both sides of the, both sides of the ball but uh I think I'm you're more susceptible to injury doing it in, in the tackle I've found recently, especially with my uh, shoulder histories, history. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I obviously want to be as physical in defence as in attack, but uh, I think it's nearly safer to make your tackles maybe sometimes and then try to constantly smash someone. But uh, yeah, it's still, it's always improving. I, I think I, I can get back to the way. I, I think I used to tackle with a bit more physicality a season or two ago, mm. and I, I want that back. But I want, as well, I don't want to risk my uh, risk getting a few injuries in the way. So um, I suppose it's just being careful with that. Have, have you what has it put like? Have you changed much physically in the last couple of years? Have you felt you had to kind of put on a bit more like timber to yourself, more muscle mass, anything like that? Uh, I think I'm, I think I would have all right, but it's it's not something you really notice. Mm. Um, maybe you, you might notice it when you're carrying the ball or making a good hit sometimes, but uh, you don't really. I, don't, I, w I wouldn't be the one to know, notice something like that. The yeah. um, it's kind of a remarkable journey, kind of kind of taken, and, and you were kind of there at a, at a great time. Like let's say John Muldoon would have been there since 2003, yeah. went through some tough times as well. But you came in at a at a good time, didn't you as well? Like, but yeah, um, yeah. I suppose looking back to that season, what was what was that kind of season like with you guys kind of on such a run and this kind of belief that was in, within the squad as well? It must have been strange to kind of just step straight into that. Yeah, um, I we a lot of us from that from that season remember so well how it, it wasn't this. Uh, this uh, straightforward run of just winning games. It was a, uh, we we, there was times in, in that season where we lost four in a four in a row and mm. something like that. And it didn't, uh, it obviously wouldn't, it didn't feel like we were going to do as well as we did. Um, but it just it just shows that everyone everyone has you not just because you, you might end up 
where you do, it doesn't mean it's going to go. It's going to be constantly up, uh, an uphill uh, climb. It was mm. up and down for us quite a lot that season, uh, and we we came out of it pretty well, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it wasn't as straightforward as everyone thought. I think we uh, we definitely took some. I mean, even before the uh, the the quarter of the semi final, we we played boys played Treviso away and lost that one. Mm, and for yeah. us that didn't play, we were thinking, oh, geez, we've just blown it now. And I mean, that was so close to. To the end of the season as well, and like it still, it still came out good for us. So the the um, we would have spoken, I think, last week to Dennis Leamy, and he was a guy, um, more like he was a guy who did his talking on the pitch, didn't talk out much in the dressing room, but um, every now and then he said he felt compelled. Like he said, maybe it was just pure anger. He might just speak up in the dressing room. But what, what are you? Are you kind of guy who speaks as much, or is it kind of every now and then if you speak, it's everyone's turning around? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, no, I'd be I'd be quiet. I'd be quiet enough, I think. Mm. But. Uh, yeah, if, if uh, yeah, I don't know. I suppose it could be similar enough. If if you really feel compelled to say something, you'd say it. And I, I think a lot of players are like that. You have your few uh, natural speakers that everyone just goes to to mm. listen to, but everyone as well has an opinion. And uh, sometimes you do want to be, you do feel you need you need you need to you give your opinion to the squad and think you're going to benefit. But uh, yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge speaker now, but I could I could do the odd the odd time. Who was them? Um, because I was um, I was looking at one kind of uh, I think it was the Vodafone thing was just introducing you and Heaslip was saying how quiet you were when you first came in yeah. as well. But was there any type of players that kind of stepped up and really helped you settle into the Irish squad when you first yeah. came in? Yeah, yeah. The, the majority of the players, to be honest, were uh, were quite helpful. Yeah, it was really really nervous nervous um, first going up to the squad. Uh, but um, but yeah, even all the real established players, everyone was helpful. Everyone was really. Uh, they kept 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 you well relaxed and uh, in the nose. Told you do your do your homework and and should be and everything be fine. And yeah, it was it was as I said, it was uh, they were they were really helpful though to 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 keep everyone relaxed, I suppose. And you what is it um, have been you know you, not too long in the game, like around three or four years at this stage, but some incredible games and some big moments you've been involved in, but. Are you a man for keeping hold of like memorabilia and jerseys and stuff like that? Would you hang on to much of it? I have, uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a few jerseys. I suppose I traded after games, which I definitely will will, will keep. Um, yeah, I'm, it's not my, uh, it's not it's not at the forefront of my mind mm. now. But uh, I think you just do, you just get stuff like that as as you go. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'd have a few. I only just remembered that I had an Australian jersey from last season. That's about. It's the height of that. In a kit bag somewhere. <laughs> no, 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 I think back home in Kerry now. <laughs> yeah. And um, well, that's that's even it. Would you have kind of like um, every year you get the new gear and the Irish gear and some of that? Are yeah. you a man for kind of giving that away to friends and family as well? Or I think everyone, I think everyone does that really. Mm. Yeah, because it just it just piles up. Even it's it's great gear as well. Um, but like say even we comic we get loads of loads of amazing of great gear. But um, sure, only less than a year away we're going to get the. Same amount, so you're, you're going to naturally give give some stuff away to to those close to you that that really wanted. And um, in, in terms of this game coming up the weekend, will, will your mum be up for a game like this? Does she go to many yeah. games? Yeah. Oh, she, yeah, she'd be she'd be uh, she'd be buzzing for for a game like this now. Yeah, uh, my brother as well. Hopefully, if he gets time off, and uh, I'd say a few cousins as well who'd, who'd love to. They, everyone loves these kind of games. Mm. Yeah. She's what is it? Even reading it past interviews, is like your mum's kind of a big person in your life, isn't she? And kind of inspired you so much. Yeah, she? yeah. She would. Uh, ah, yeah. She drive me to all these trials from Tralee to Cork and Cork and Tralee to Limerick every like once or twice a week in summer, like and even while while working nights uh, every every second week. So she's she put a lot of work in. <laughs> 
Does, yeah. um, was there always kind of like a, as you kind of talked about, maybe having to make that trip up to the Connacht rather than playing with Munster or something like that? Was there a time ever that you kind of felt rugby wasn't going to be the path for you? Like, did it, did it ever come close to thinking that, that, that this might not be the journey you were going to go on? Yeah, no, there, there's, I think every player, I don't know if does everyone get moments like that. I definitely did uh, when I was, um, I think it was 17, 18. Mm. Uh, maybe, yeah, I think it was 18, just 18. And um, I we just finished the uh, under 19 season from Munster and I'd just come back from an injury, didn't play too well. Uh, I think I, I was just back from a hand injury and that just kept, I was kind of quite poor season with Munster 19s. Um, I think I got, I got dropped to the Munster Bees, who were actually going really well, and we won, we won that the Munster B Interpro as it was. Um, but um, I still felt because I got dropped from the, that Munster A 19s group, and I thought, oh, that's it now. Uh, and my mum said, ah, oh, it's not all. <laughs> it's, it's not everything, you know. You, you can always do, you can always play it for fun and all this. And I was thinking, yeah, 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 sure, at least we do our best. Um, still got, I, was, I don't know how I got selected for the. Irish 19s trials. It was this three-day camp in Clongos, and I was just so driven to do to, to do well in that. And uh, uh, luckily, luckily enough, I got selected for the for the squad. And we had a good, we had a pretty successful season. Um, yeah, I remember beating England 19 over there, which was which was great. And uh, yeah, and that was it. And then after that, uh, the, the whole academy contract came up for for Connacht. Tough decision, but yeah, went with it. And you were kind of talking about being driven to kind of do certain things. Do you have yourself some goals ahead for next, like big couple of years for Irish rugby as well? Um, is there kind of positions you're? Are you kind of looking to kind of nail down a position in this Irish team in the next few months? Uh, well, you know, I want to. You want to play uh, consistently well for your for your province, and doing that will get will will get you selected up there. Um, you hope so. That that that's my first priority. You know, mm. uh, I need to. Uh, yeah, I do have. Everyone, ha you have to have your goals, and I, I do. I definitely do have some. So, hopefully, that'll help me uh, uh, achieve what I want in the future. You know. And then within this kind of squad, um, would you have kind of good guys you call friends, like guys you kind of? Um, yeah, I'd say everyone. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. Yeah. Not not one person you don't you don't get along with. Not one person. It's, it's great. Even to kind of come in here is like um, it's that kind of family kind of atmosphere as well in here, isn't it? It's, yeah, it, it really is. It really is. It's it's, it's unreal. Like it's. Uh, it's it's you you can't take it for granted because it's you're essentially a teenager or whatever it is for for ten years. It's it really is it really is a, a dream sometimes. Like and even though you have your you have your tough days, you just can't overlook the all the good times you have. So and then for, for Irish fans, it might get a, little, a glimpse of next month a little bit more. Someone like Bundyaki, what's he like to train with and kind of play with on a on a daily basis? <laughs> he's uh, he's funny. He's a character, but uh, and he's uh, he works really hard. He works really hard now. So uh, uh, hopefully, I'd, I'd say he, what he's thinking is just uh, he wants to tick the right boxes in in these games coming up, and uh, whatever happens happens. I think uh, I'm not too sure, but I presume that's what that's what that's it. That'd be his mindset. For for you guys, as you're saying, you kind of haven't played all the games against Munster yet, but um, often it's a, it's a good chance to kind of see where you are in the season, spark a little bit of a run as well as you've done in the past, yeah. beating them here as well, and when you bet them down in, in Limerick there a couple of years ago as well, is is that again again having been in good form in the Challenge Cup, a good way to kick on and maybe get get a result against Munster this weekend? It, it, it is well, it's good for team morale and everything, but uh, we 
you still take your learns from the game. It, it, it always feels great when you're winning. When you've just won the game, you're thinking, oh, thank God we've got the win. But then when you analyze everything that's going on, you got to see, you have to find the flaws and, and the things that aren't going too right. And yeah, it, it's great for the confidence and stuff. But uh, I mean, we still know that we we still have a bit to go to to, to play the way we, we're to play the way we're happy with, you know, a standard of which we're happy with. Sometimes I think, uh, but yeah, we're everyone's really excited for this weekend. So hopefully we can. Uh, you can do the job. Good stuff. All right, listen, nice talking to you. Cool. All the best this weekend. Cheers. Good stuff there from Ultimateland. Okay, we have fan questions and tips for the weekend's rugby on the way. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You can watch the start, fall off for 40 minutes, come back, see the end, perfect. You know what I mean? You've missed nothing really. Remember, Rod Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room, one for you for Cheltenham. <laughs> like every red-blooded male in the country, he'd be watching the horse racing, whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder, She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer. Murder, She Wrote is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You're listening to the Hard Yards Rugby Podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening. We're going to look ahead to the weekend's Pro 14 games now. Um, Pat, uh, you're back on form. I'm back on form. Yeah, it was a good Champions Week, <laughs> Champions Cup week. Uh, we both called uh, the the Racing Monster. Right. I just said ten points was too much. That came in fourteen seven. So we both did well there. Uh, and I did well with Leinster and I did well with La Rochelle unfortunately for Ulster um, also those those two other games Treviso Toulon and Saracens Ospreys finished very oh, tight yeah that was everybody was wrapped into that um, like everybody was, you were great for providing Twitter updates of the Toulon Treviso game and I was massacring people's timelines <laughs> with updates <laughs> but um, yeah I mean for, for Treviso to almost pull off that win against Toulon um, Ian McKinley heavily involved in that one Jesus mm. that would have been a win for the ages oh, it would have been absolutely and it's as, as you've been championing them there this season but they've been backing you up and um, you even kind of tipped them to kind of give Toulon a good game after the bat game as well so um, it's just great to see like so and hopefully they can just keep I know they didn't get the win but hopefully they can just keep this up over the course of the season because there seems to be a real change in mentality there um, with the likes of Bradley coming in and uh, Kieran Crowley and then Conor O'Shea yeah. on the Zebra side yeah and then just Treviso they're, they're, they're proven handfuls mm. in every game this season it's, it's it's really good to see. Uh, right, so the Pro 14 is back. Um, started the Interpros. Uh, Connacht and Munster. Munster travelled to Galway. They are three-point favourites. Uh, yeah, like this, it, this is this always was a over the last couple of seasons the big thing for Munster to kind of or like for Connacht to show that they were around and they're a team to be reckoned with. But yeah. they're not the same team at the moment. And even though they're coming off a good couple of results in the Challenge Cup, uh, I'll go for Munster on that one. It'd be interesting. See, I think Munster are going to go a pretty decent strength side, so I'm going to go Munster to beat them. Uh, back them as well yeah I have to agree with you on that one I think it is it's going to be it's going to be Munster it's just a matter of how many mm. um, sorry Connacht fans <laughs> I know it's going to really annoy you um, but that's the view of the two guys here uh, and then we go up to Kingspan um, Ulster and Leinster uh, Leinster are, it's, it's, what am I saying here there is no favourite in terms yes. of the spread which means that Leinster are viewed as the better side but they're away from home. Um, so how do we see this? So we, this is just we pick a winner. Is this yeah. all we have to do? Um, I think so. 
I'll let you go first because I'm always hogging, hogging it. This is true. Uh, so I'm going to go for an Ulster win. Um, but the I am really sweating on injuries. Yeah, um, I think I'll go with Leinster on that one. It's just because they just keep... Ever since, I think I, I was burnt by them when they went to South Africa and and backed them and they let me down. So I've kind of held a grudge against them since. But I, I, I'm going to say they're going to get over the line. Um, but it'll be, it should be a close game. Um but yeah, I'll go Leinster in that one. Okay, so I, I really, really need an understrength Leinster side <laughs> if, you're, if you're out there. Uh, right, we'll zip through the other games now. Uh, Glasgow, heavy, heavy 32-point favourites versus the Kings. It's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's 32. 32 for a lot of points. <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, that would want to be some trash. So I'm going to go for the Kings on that one. But not to win, but <laughs> not to get beaten by 32 points. Okay, Um I'm going to go with the 32 points in this. I'm going to go Glasgow, and that is a huge gamble. Um, Ospreys, 12-point favourites at home to Dragons. Interesting. Uh, I probably wouldn't have called Ospreys before that Saracens game, but they were... That's thrown me. Yeah. Didn't see that one coming. There's, like, a little bit of fire back in them, maybe. Even though even though they got, they got pipped, but... Uh, uh, it's minus 12 they're home uh, Ospreys yeah alright there's no confidence in me saying that at all there. no there was no confidence <laughs> and I'm going the dragon side and, but that's, that is not said with a huge amount of confidence yeah. uh, now Treviso Edinburgh right uh, Alan the producer is heavy on Treviso on this one because they're a three point underdog so Edinburgh are favourites here by three and Edinburgh didn't they have some captaincy issues as well this week and they've got a number of issues so, uh, so on, on the in the credit side they went to Krasny Yar who had beaten Stade Francais mm. now since then Stade Francais got hockeyed at home by London Irish in the Challenge Cup so I think we know where Stade's priorities lie this season <laughs> um, but Ed, uh, Edinburgh went to Moscow and put 70 points on them um, so they're going to be feeling pretty good on the debit side uh, they've lost their captain um, they've, they've got issues yeah um I, I can imagine Richard, Richard Cockrell taking that really well. He'd be good. Remember we spoke, yeah, it'd be great to get him on the phone for a chat at some stage, wouldn't it? But I'd say he's just come in and uh, it's just he is a way of working things. And he's just a force of personality, isn't he? And yeah. uh, hopefully it works out for the best for him. But so Treviso or Edinburgh? Treviso. Yeah. I'm the same. Um, I think Treviso are now, they're good and backable. No mm. one's secret anymore. Uh, so we'll both take those uh, Zebra are uh, at home to the Cheetahs the mm. Cheetahs are three point favourites sorry f- correction four point favourites Cheetahs favourites uh, this is going to be a tough one yeah I'll go I'm going to go oh god I'll go Zebra in this one yeah and I'm going to go to the Cheetahs but I can see where you've gone for Zebra mm. we've talked about this previously the two Italian sides doing well they were rewarding us um, I hope they don't this week <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and last game Scarlets against Blues Scarlets are 12 point favourites at home now are Scarlets going to put all their eggs into the Pro 14 this season just like Glasgow might do as well because they're down early yeah yeah. Um, see who see what bodies are lining up to play this weekend see who's fit to play um, and that's it it would be it was kind of unexpected last year so yeah it, no one really retains the Pro 14 so um, it'd, be a, it'd be a massive achievement to, to, to do it I'll let you go first on that one OK I'll go with Scarlets um, I will go with them to cover that 12 point handicap um, I'm going to I'll back you up a nice kind of boring way to finish off there OK <laughs> right um, and as of now favourites to win the grand final uh, Leinster clear favourites 5-4 to four. oh really yeah 5-4 yeah. to four. Scarlets Glasgow 4-1 to one. Munster 5-1 to one. Cheetahs are twenty two to one. 
forgot Ulster 9 to 1. Osprey's 66 to 1. Uh, everyone else 200 to 1. So basically, it's Leinster, then a clutch of teams, but the Cheetahs are up there. So it'll be interesting to see can they come and do on their European spin this time around? Can they take points back? Pick a couple of results up, yeah. Um, yeah. And Leinster's odds haven't been affected by Josh van der Fleer's injury at all there. I would have thought they would have shot out to massive underdogs after that. Uh, I suppose there's few players who can affect a line that much. But um, <laughs> sure, listen. Uh, we'll see how the weekend unfolds. Up next, we have listener questions for Kev. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. Kev's back in to answer your fan questions. We put out a call on Twitter and these are some of the ones we got in. Use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to ask a question next week. First one from JP Diggins. When is a knockout not a HIA? Okay, the background for this. <laughs> the background for this. This came in after the para incident in the Northampton and Claremont game. Um, there's a few things here, but it's actually a deceptively simple question. So, Kev, answer that question in isolation before we go anywhere else. When is a knockout not a HIA? A knockout is never a HIA. Why? Uh, my understanding, from, even from when I was playing, going back 10 years at this point, it feels like, <laughs> is that if you're knocked out, you're off the pitch and you don't get tested. You're just told by the referee even that you're not allowed to come back. That is correct. Um, but sometimes it's hard to know whether someone's knocked out or not. Like, because you can be lying there rolling around with your head down and no one knows whether you actually w- went black or not. Sometimes it's really obvious. There's a, there's a few ca- like high profile cases where it's clear a guy's actually unconscious. But. But like sometimes when you black out and from a concussion you still move around you wriggle around and stuff even though mm. you're not conscious so it's, it is a difficult one to call and like the players will immediately I, I do remember getting knocked out once and I came to it was during training and uh, uh, one of the physios tried to like pull me off the pitch and I was like what are you doing get your hands off me there's nothing wrong with me like I fully thought I was fine yep so that's what the physios and doctors are dealing with and that's where the footage I know on, on for the high profile games now they can go back and they can have a look at the footage yep. and they can actually see I think you can tell by the, how the body responds if it well, looks a bit and, and that's the point right? you made a really interesting point there so firstly um, it, the player is not a reliable source of information in something like that so you basically have to discount anything that the player says okay, and that's fine so you move that off the table um, but then it is very very hard for someone who's not medically trained or hasn't had the training that for example a high profile referee would have mm. uh, to spot the signs because going completely limp without movement can be a sign of lost consciousness equally there's certain spasming that can also be a sign of lost consciousness. Um, so, oh, we're, but there's also. So no, but, but the point yeah. is, none of us here are medically trained. But what yeah. happened in that match was not actually about the medical. The starting point was a referee saying he's unconscious. Mm. Once that happens, mm. that player should be gone. Mm. And that's where I think we have confusion. And the statement from the EPCOR path that came out was weird. Because first, first two things which just don't make sense. Firstly, the, confu- the confusion that the referee introduced, they glossed over that. Yeah. And yeah. I think they've missed a learning opportunity for rugby, um, for, for everyone, from fans to, to media to, to even the referee community. I've, I've been talking to referees, some of them aren't aware of that. Um, and the other thing was they somehow revealed that the HIA said, um, yeah, he didn't lose consciousness. That's not what a HIA does. Yeah, yeah. How's, how would you prove that then? Yeah. yeah. So there's there's a number of things that are wrong there, and it will be fascinating to me to see if World Rugby step in, because they have done it in a couple of cases in the past. Um, but it's, it's a shame. I mean, Kev, for your particular situation, we're, we're still here a number of years later, and we still have these moments where there's, there is confusion, and there shouldn't be confusion around some aspects of this. 
No, in this case, it sounds like there definitely shouldn't be confusion. Um, and I think, like, the general guidelines, I know in the IRFU for certain reasons, if there's a suspicion of a knockout, the player comes off. Hmm. And no HOA. Even a suspicion. And I think there's some good examples of that on even in the national team high profile cases the guy's been dragged off against their will that's what it takes really it's it's it's, it's phenomenal conflict of interest it is and those the coach ultimately has direct connection to the doctor and the physio via their ear earpiece yeah. and and, and this know, could be and to be clear this could be almost a subconscious conflict of interest as well you know the doctor has to deal with these players on a day to day basis as well so I want to be very clear that when, when there's criticism around a player not being removed that is not a direct criticism of the doctors involved as long as they follow the process exactly that's and fine I think the high profile cases are so important though I keep going back to that because I'll never forget November last year uh, against New Zealand key part in the game um, one, of the, one of the doctors from Leinster uh, and with Ireland now Kieran uh, literally almost dragging CJ Stander off the pitch against his will mm. and like that is making a statement not just the Irish rugby the world rugby that like the Irish team are doing the best look after their players and there are big moments when, when other people are looking in people from lower levels seeing that happen it's really important we saw it with Aino Falvey when he was involved in the team as well he was not afraid to say look you're off and to be seen on TV in front of hundreds of thousands, millions of people doing yeah, it. Yeah, no, it is hard, but like it comes from the top. Like Joe was in Kieran Cosgrave's ear saying mm. CJ needs to come off. And like that, that's just a huge statement. And, and you're right, because all the kids, the aspiring um, players are looking at CJ going, he's the toughest guy in Irish rugby. Yeah. And yeah. he is being hauled off the pitch. Yeah because he got a head knock and they're looking after him and this is now a serious injury it's okay. something that we need to take seriously so we've got uh, in, in summary um, if there's a knockout there is no HAA you're just off and also message which is an important one is you do not need to have a knockout to, come, to be sent off that pitch permanently removed okay so we'll end it there it'll be a good one to have a talk to with a, a medic sometime to get a, you know, a more in-depth perspective but I think we've exhausted our combined expertise here for now <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, next question uh, from Talking Leinster. Who is your choice for best scrum half in Ireland behind Conor Murray? Um, Luke McGrath. I'd go Luke McGrath. Um, yeah. There's a lot of talk about John Cooney, and and, um, and he's had a great start to the season. It's great to see him get a run, but um, I just yeah, I think Luke McGrath's got that kind of it's the mentality as well as the skill as well, and and he's the fact that he's what is he still only 24 maybe like, and he's just started the season. No one talks about him like because he's just that accomplished as a player like, and uh, I like Marmion. I've dealt with him a few times, but I think Luke McGrath's that level above him. Yeah, and I like I know Lukey personally. He's a great fella. He's great for You're getting culture. your bias out of the way there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's from talking Leinster, so <laughs> I'm happy to give a, a very biased opinion. But uh, Lukey, like he's you know he he's worked hard on his weaknesses over the past couple of years. I know because from when I was in there, he was doing about five thousand passes a day. <laughs> um, I remember he he was leveraging people like Owen Redden when he was still in the environment and learning from him. And like his game has just come on so much. And he's like Conor Murray in the physicality he brings. Mm-hmm. As well, which is actually huge in the modern game. The amount of tackles scrum halves have to make now versus even a few years ago, having someone who can actually empty people like Luke can um, is huge. 
But yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how Kieran Marmion goes this year. It's a big season for him. John Cooney and Ulster. Is we, like we, we've said that about Marmion for a few years now. It's a big yeah. season for him. And, yeah. you know, he, he did have some good runs um, in the Ireland shirt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was I was in at the Millennium um, earlier this year when he came on. Was it, he just he took a number eight off over, over the sideline. Uh, maybe it was mm-hmm. ball or something. Actually, no, second row ball over the sideline. And um, comes in, remember his big tackle on po- uh, Pocock last year as well. Like, And he just keeps having these moments where he steps up. But yet, everybody, it's, it's not only us, it'll be other people online and other reporters as well. They always ask a question about him. So maybe it's... Maybe it's the fact that he's a little bit quiet or something like that kind of goes against him. But is he not making as many breaks as he used to, or is it just the teams are more aware of his threat? Is it one of those kind of? Yeah, yeah. Like he might just be a little bit more. You know, once you're in that Irish setup, as you've even seen with Stander, like you're a little bit more marked. Yeah, yeah. There's more footage <laughs> yeah, of you. Yeah. Like, oh, that's it. Um, okay, last one. Um, when handed big fines, whose pocket does the money actually come from? Is there a contingency bucket for just this? This is from the Black and Red, and it's the, the name Ronan O'Gara is not mentioned anywhere in this, <laughs> so I want to make sure that that's clear, right? But seriously, Gabe, if, if there's a, a, let's say there's a disciplinary matter, um, there's a fine comes from Central, from the league, from the tournament, is there is that paid out of a player's own pocket or is there a Central bucket? Genuinely, I don't know the answer to that question. Were you a very um, good boy, were you? I was a I was a very good boy. I was. I got two yellow cards in my career, um, both just from being sloppy, not from being violent. I wasn't a violent player. I never had the energy for it. I was always too tired. <laughs> but I was also like, I can just smack him in a tackle or a rook. I actually don't need to punch him. Like <laughs> that was always my opinion on it. Like, <laughs> take my aggression back. out in a legal way, and that's the whole yeah. point of rugby. But. Um, no, like I, I'd imagine that an external fine gets paid by the club, and then if you're fined internally, the player pays it. That'd be my guess now, but I, I actually genuinely don't have a clue. They so. might rope you in to do like a, a fundraiser, kind of show your face or something like that. For like, you know, like you might have to go and do some corporate work or something like that to pay for the fine. Maybe. What is that the equivalent of community service? <laughs> yeah, <Yeah. laughs> like, going yeah. glad hand some people for for a couple of hours. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll leave the questions there. Uh, use the hashtag #AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question next week. Uh, we had a competition this week for two tickets to Ulster versus Leinster at the Kingspan Stadium. The winner is Niall Hassan. The Pro 14 final takes place on May 26th in the Aviva Stadium. Tickets are available on Ticketmaster. Okay, that's it for this week. Thanks to Kev, Vinnie Hammond, Alton Delan, and Pat McCarry, Alan Lachnan for producing, and Paul Downing. It was on sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. The Hard Yards. Passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's Before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi, Rob. Zeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is.